Good morning and welcome to another episode of Catholics at Home podcast. I am Megan. How are you doing? How's your Saturday coming along? Have you had breakfast yet? If you haven't, um, what's on the menu? Okay. While you grab your cup of coffee or tea and join us for today's episode. Well, today we take a look at a very important topic. Yeah, um, over the over the past year and a half, we've had to deal with a uh, a pandemic that has altered the way we do things, you know, uh, have altered 
our routines, our lifestyle, and our livelihood as well. And because of that, it has left its effects on our mental health as well. Now, some mental health is something we don't normally talk about, especially being Asians. But today we want to jump into that and we want to see how the pandemic has affected our mental health. And we want you to understand and to know that it's okay if you're struggling, if you're if you're feeling not okay in this time, especially, yeah? So before we dive right into the topic this morning, once again, welcome to the show. You are more than welcome to like, share, and comment in the comment section below. Don't forget, if you have a question, you can drop it in the comment section and we'll get right to that during the show. But of course, before we bring on our guests this morning, it's time for me to bring on my co-host, the one and only Catholics at Home's resident priest and advisor, Father Clarence Davidas. Hi, Meg. Good morning. How morning are you today? You. I'm good, Meg. I'm good, given. I mean, as you know, we're all in a lockdown. So making the best out of the the situation that you're in. So good morning to everyone, all to all our listeners, wherever you're tuning in from. Welcome back to Catholics at Home. And how are you, Meg? I'm good, Father, like you last surviving. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the best we can do. You know, we stay home, we survive, we do whatever we can. So yeah, that's basically so true. So, so true, so true. I think, you know, I, I think we, we talked about it last week also. I mean, resilience, uh, we try our best yep. to, you know, uh, yeah, I think it, it's it's a, it's a very important topic that we are talking about this morning, you know, uh, mm -hmm. mental health. Um, I would think, uh, Meg, you know, just, just reading and, and just talking to people, we are all, we are all impacted by this, you know, yeah. uh, emotionally, psychologically. There's no one who can say that, that they are not impacted by it, you know, maybe in, in, in varying degrees, I suppose. You know, children, we have talked about children, uh, the inability for social interaction, uh, people not able to go out of homes, cooped up, you know. Uh, so I think we all are somehow impacted. Maybe some of us are able to cope better. Uh, maybe others are not able to cope. Uh, they mm -hmm. cope in different ways. So right. I think it's a very, I think it's a very, very important topic. And to all our listeners, you know, we shouldn't, I think, negate that fact that we are impacted. You know, Absolutely. we are affected. We are affected by it. I think, Father, most of the time we kind of brush it off as it's not a big deal, you know, because mental health, um, good mental health has only been like, you know, coming up recently. And, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was not something common. We never spoke about it, you know. So people didn't know how to describe how they were feeling, you know, and they were struggling and it just became normal you know, when we could reach out for help. So that's, I think that's one thing we want to uh, take a look at today. And also we want to find out how that landscape has changed as well, because as you mentioned, Father, the pandemic has left its effects on each and every one of us, yeah. whether we realize it or not. So uh, today we have two guests and uh, both are very, very prominent in what they do. Um, they're very kind they're very amazing at what they do all i can say is that they're amazing okay so i think it's time for us to bring on our guests what do you say father yes meg i think i think i mean it's a nice way to talk to them uh yeah. and i think to open new doors for people i just wanted to add you know uh, i grew up probably you also grew up at a time when if somebody went to see a psychologist uh we, we would think that there's something seriously wrong uh yeah. you know uh but i think more and more today we need to realize that we all need 
each other, you know, in whatever Absolutely. form. Somehow. And I think we have two people who have been doing this, rightly you said. Uh, it's great to have this conversation and hopefully this opens doors for people to, to get help in, in any form in, uh, whenever they need something. That's right. Now, of course, uh, the continuous lockdown has led to disruption in our daily lives, our routines, our livelihood. And while some of us, like Father said, are coping with the situation, some of us have been hit rather harder, right? And we are struggling uh, to keep up with our mental health problems. So whether you're coping well or not, it's okay to feel overwhelmed by the situation. I think we all do. So today we're going to explore ways on how we can be kinder to ourselves. And we're very honored to have consultant adult psychiatrist and addiction specialist, Professor Dr. Philip George, and Kenny Lim, the executive director of The Befrienders, to walk us through this this journey on Catholics at Home this morning. Good morning, Kenny. Good morning, Dr. Philip. How are you guys today? Good morning. I'm good, thank you. How are you and Father doing? We're Hi, good. Dr. Philip. Good morning. Hi, morning. morning. Mo Hi, morning, Kenny. Morning to you. Morning, Father. Morning, Mike. Morning, Dr. Philip. Yes. Thank you so much for, you know, actually spending your time to speak to us this morning. I think uh, there is no better time to speak about this than now, you know, with the numbers surging, with more people losing their jobs, with more people's lives affected by the pandemic. I think this is just the right time. So thank you once again from the team at Catholics at Home. Now, um, Father had prepared something that he came across recently about how the landscape of things have changed in terms of mental health. So Father, would you like to take over yeah. it and tell us more about that? Thanks, Meg. Um, I, I came across this, this little graphic. Uh, I think that was Kenny would be able to, to, to uh, I mean, walk us through. Uh, this was provided by the Befrienders uh, and just to look at how the landscape has changed and, and they, who provide emotional support uh, through phone uh, are seeing, you know, uh, an increase in the number of people who are calling. I mean, just very, just looking at it. I mean, they're talking about 120 calls uh, a day uh, this year alone, uh, and we're talking about just you know six, seven months uh, into into the year. Perhaps Kenny, uh, you could you could kind of like walk through this. Um, you know, what is it that you know how? You, what kind of a change are you seeing, uh, you know, compared to pre-pandemic times and now uh, in terms of uh, what's happening, in terms of people calling in to befriend us? Mm. Yes, Father, as, as we can see from this uh, graph here, right, uh, there has been an increase in the number of calls uh, that we received. Uh, this is the comparison between uh, now and uh, to MCO 1.0 at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, so we are uh, getting more and more calls uh, from people who are affected by the pandemic. Uh, for example, uh, calls from people who are struggling with uh, financial issues, uh, people who have lost their job, loss of income, uh, businesses being affected, right? Uh, apart from that, also from people who are struggling uh, because of the lockdown, yeah, um, the uh, inability to perhaps go back uh, and visit their family members. They feel very isolated, yeah? But then on the other, ex uh, uh, the extreme uh, spectrum of it, right? We are also uh, getting calls from people who are having difficulties when they are being uh, together with their family, 
for a long period of time, yeah, because there's no uh, like no opportunity or no chance for them to maybe like go out to have some me time. So when you're staying together for a long period of time, there bound to be some like conflicts, fight, disagreement. So so we are also getting calls from people for struggling with issues like that. Uh, apart from that, also uh, working from home, uh, online studying. Uh, there are people who are finding it difficult uh, because, you know, if you're, uh, for example, working from home, um, it, it, it gets very uh, confusing, right? Like, you know, before this, when you go to the office, it's always, what, 8 to 5, 8 to 6. Yeah, there's a fixed uh, time where you go to work. But now working from home is like 24-7, right? So it, it's a struggle also from people doing online study. Um, we have uh, students who would prefer to go back to the campus because of uh, the situation at home, which is not very conducive. Uh, family members who are not very understanding, yeah, uh, the internet connection and all those. Um, so all these uh, issues are very much related to pandemic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at, at the, those figures, and I'm just very curious. I, and I don't want to be gender biased, but your your <laughs> figure shows that you know two thirds of people who call in are, are females. I mean, is that something? I mean, that uh, you know, what, uh, is, this, is, this, is there an explanation to that, Kenny? I mean, I, I'm just wondering. Right. Uh, yes. This statistics here basically it has been like that for. Uh, the past many years, yeah, it's always been like maybe two to one, uh, females to males callers. Uh, I don't really know why is it so, yeah, but perhaps uh, it's uh, for females, it's always easier for them to open up to talk. Uh, for okay. males, maybe, you know, uh, you know, when we talk about mental health issues, there's always this fear of being judged, you know, that I am uh, a weak person. It's also how, uh, you know, the way we are being brought up, la, yeah? uh, guys are not supposed to cry, for example, yeah? you're not supposed to show people that you're weak, you have to be, you know, you have to man up, you know. You so cannot have you know, emotions. Yes, uh, you. Yeah, I, I. Sometimes we get calls from uh, guys who tell us things like that. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I can't even uh, cry. Um, but um, I've reached a, I've reached a situation where I cannot take it anymore. Yeah. Um, when they need to cry, they know that they want to cry and they need to cry, but they can't cry. You know, it's because you know, uh, the past 10, 20 years, uh, we have always uh, been repressing our feelings. I, I guess. That's why, yeah. I think if I can add, Father, uh, basically sure. we know that uh, common psychiatric conditions are actually more common in women than in men. And the reasons for that is multifactorial. I mean, one is hormonal. So, mm. you know, even hormones can influence emotions and mood, making mental health issues actually as biological as having hypertension. Uh, the other is also the stresses that women go through. They're far more and greater than sometimes men. I mean, having going through childbirth, looking after children, taking on different roles, they take on a lot more stresses than men do. Of course, mm -hmm. as what Kenny said, they're more willing to talk about their emotions and feelings, perhaps. And most men will close up and clamp up. I mean, the only thing they'll talk to others is you know, politics or football, but <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, then, <laughs> then when they can't cope, sometimes they self-medicate. And that's why we see alarming 
you know, sort of uh, prevalence rates of alcohol and drug misuse among men compared to women. They may actually be experiencing mental health issues, but don't know how to cope and use, you know, the, uh, you know, the, un well, the uh, non-conventional ways of de dealing with it. Uh, yeah, but I think uh, reaching out for help is something that women may do more than men do. Uh, sadly, men require the help just as much, but there's a big barrier and obstacle in them actually thinking about going out and looking for that help. Hmm. Wow, that's very interesting. But it, it makes a lot of sense, though. I think women over the years have learned to communicate what they're feeling a little better than men have. So I think that also contributes to the whole uh, problem right now. So when we talk about mental health problems that are being experienced by everyone today, what are they? I mean, are there names to describe these feelings and emotions? Yeah, I think the first thing is to differentiate mental health from mental illness. Okay. So mental health is everyone's issue. I mean, we all go through ups and downs in our lives. I mean, if they announce, okay, guess what? MCO's prolonged. You'll be in lockdown for infinity. Well, that's going to definitely impact everyone's mental health. You know, you're going to feel frustrated, anxious, uh, sad, disappointed. All of these are negative mental health emotions. And we, like it or not, we all go through this from time to time. Of course, we need to find whether we have the resilience to cope with it, whether we have, you know, the support systems and whether we actually can deal with our mental health issues in an appropriate way. And if we can't, then we put ourselves at risk of developing a mental illness, which is an illness compared to, you know, the mental health issue, which is everyone's issue. We go through good days, bad days. But when we don't look after our mental health, we trigger off mental illness, especially if we have a family history, if we have childhood history of, you know, some trauma, if we're carrying some issues with us, if we're actually, you know, maybe overindulging in things that we shouldn't, we are putting ourselves more at risk, you know, with on top of bad news or other things that happen. No, just okay. just listening to you, uh, Dr. Philip, you know, I mean, talking about terminologies, I, I, and I realize that, you know, sometimes you may be feeling sad. Sometimes you're feeling down for various reasons. And sometimes, you know, we people seem, you just say, you know, I feel very depressed. Uh, you know, is the word that commonly is used. What's the difference? I mean, what are the different stages? I mean, in terms of whether you, when you're sad, what are the signs or, you know, when you're feeling down? Yeah. Depression, you try and understand, it, it is a medical condition that, that requires intervention, I suppose. I mean, severe form of depression. Um, yeah. So how do we understand these terms? Uh, I mean, if you can help us understand better. Yeah, sure. So actually what we use is criteria to make a diagnosis. I mean, okay. let's take, uh, for example, migraine. If, if you've been diagnosed with migraine, it's most probably that you met the criteria for the diagnosis. There's no CT brain or ultrasound or lab test that will, voila, diagnose you with migraine. It is, you have to have at least six out of 13 symptoms for a period of time. So, you know, that photophobia, that aura, that, you know, the one-sided headache, it's not relieved by paracetamol, the list goes on. But if you meet mm. that criteria, you are having migraine. So similarly with depression, you have to have continuous prolonged low moods for two weeks. Continuous. That's different from sadness. You can't have continuous sadness. So if it is prolonged, continuous, and then it has five, four other symptoms out of a list of nine, 
you meet the criteria for major depression. So it's not called depression as an illness, it's called major depression. And then we decide whether it's mild, moderate or severe. You know, so that's how we decide an illness from normal, you know, the colloquial terms of I'm feeling down or feeling depressed or sad. How will we know though that we are depressed? I mean, yes, we're feeling sad. Yes, we haven't felt uh, a sense of joy in our lives. But how will we? How can we tell if we're not an expert? Well, sometimes it's actually our family members that can pick, uh, point yeah. it out to us. Uh, but also when we start to, you know, not function, uh, because with any psychiatric illness, just like any medical illness, it starts to affect our daily functioning. So if our social occupational functioning is deteriorating, if our academic grades are going down, we're not able to focus, not doing as well as in you know our papers as we did before, then that's most probably an illness. Mm -hmm. Of course, it needs to be clinically assessed. And that's done typically by a professional. Uh, I mean, you can't go on Google and say, whoa, I got depression. Let me go, you know, <laughs> take this yeah, and yeah. take that. <laughs> yeah. So it has to be clinically assessed. Okay. So, Doc, is there like, you know, specific signs and symptoms that we can look out for, whether it is, um, you know, in a family member or ourselves? Are there points that we can pick up? Okay. I've been feeling like this. I've been doing that. You said academically, but sometimes we may be blind to our own actions. We may not notice what we're doing, right? Yeah. So most families actually report, you know, uh, the person is starting to isolate themselves, lock themselves up in the room, maybe video game like too much and, you know, not sleep well, not even eating well or, you know, starting to lose weight. Uh, they're getting more irritable or angry. They're more frustrated. Now, if that's a pattern that happens on a day or two, yeah, that may be stress. Mm -hmm. But if it's pervasive, it's continuous, it's indicators of, you know, a psychiatric condition perhaps. Uh, yeah, so I think the important thing is how far from the norm is the individual? How much is that affecting their daily function? And also what sort of impact it has on the people around them as well. Okay. Just to ask Kenny, uh, just to ask Kenny a, con a question in the sense that, you know, I mean, of course, befrienders, people call in when, when they need emotional support, uh, if they are experiencing. Do you also get calls like people ask, say that, you know, I have somebody in the family like this and I don't know what to do. Do you, do you get calls like that, people asking for advice? Mm. Yeah, we, we do get calls like that as well. Uh, uh, as well as calls from people who say that, oh, uh, my friend is feeling suicidal, what do I do? Um, so in cases like that, uh, our focus is always on the caller first. So of course, you know, this person is affected by what is happening. Yeah, although it's, uh, they are not calling for themselves, right? Uh, but um, because someone close to them is struggling, so they may be affected as well. So what we do is we focus on uh, the caller and we would try to befriend the caller, uh, encourage the caller to, to talk about it and provide emotion, emotional support uh, to the caller. Yeah? And then, you know, at the end of the call, we will uh, perhaps tell the person that, you know, if you want to, you can uh, encourage uh, your friend or your family members to, to get in touch with us uh, for emotional support. Yeah. So the focus is always on our caller first. Yeah. Mm. 
Okay, I think um, like the the statistics just now showed, right? There has been an increase this year in calls, right? But as a whole, from the time the pandemic hit, you know, how much has it changed in terms of people reaching out for help? Dr. Philip, you said, you know, now every week you practically have conferences to go to to talk to people about this. <laughs> Kenny, you showed us that the calls have increased, you know. Um, is there something that we're not seeing? Yeah, I mean, if I can go first, uh, then maybe Kenny can give his opinion. Uh, actually, this was kind of expected. Uh, famous uh, A&E specialist in America called this the silent pandemic or the fourth uh, you know, pandemic. Uh, essentially, if you look at all the different health footprints a pandemic can do, the first is, of course, you know, the COVID cases and then the mortality, morbidity from COVID uh, and the outcomes, and then the impact it has on our healthcare system. Because, you know, people with hypertension and diabetes can't get their appointments, can't get their medicines. Those with cancer who need, you know, radiotherapy or chemotherapy are being postponed. So it has an impact on others as well in our community. But the other impact that is often silent is the mental health pandemic. Hmm. Every disaster has a mental health impact. Like it or not, it hits us at some stage. It may not immediately because we're in the fight, flight, fright system. You know, we got adrenaline pumping. We're trying to figure out how to survive this. But later on, when we are on our rest, months later, we can actually start to experience the mental health impact of a pandemic. And so, yeah, we're actually seeing this already. I mean, since the beginning in March last year, I've seen a rise in the number of patients making appointments. Uh, we've seen rise in you know, a number of patients actually asking, reaching out for help. I think Kenny has elaborated on you know, the number of calls that they're getting. Uh, the sad thing is we don't have as much resource as we should. I mean, everyone put mental health in the back burner and thought it was non-essential, non-important, and, yep. you know, just put least funding and resources and everything else. And now we're overwhelmed. You know, just like our ICU, even the mental health specialists are overwhelmed. Mm. Wow. Kenny, anything to add to that? Yes, I, I would agree that uh, everyone is overwhelmed, including helplines. Uh, for example, at the Befrienders, yeah, um, we have been getting feedback that uh, it's so difficult to call in, you know, uh, it's always engage. Um, you know, the thing is that because when someone calls us, right, it's not only for maybe 5, 10 minutes or even 15 minutes. You know, when you talk about your issues, uh, when you're able to open up to someone, right, uh, it may take up to, what, 45 minutes, an hour. So that's why uh, the line can be uh, quite busy at times. Uh, but one thing good about it is that... Uh, uh, there are many helplines uh, right now. Uh, many have started uh, after the pandemic, yeah, I think since March last year. So uh, even Befrienders, there are nine Befrienders centres uh, around Malaysia. Yeah, uh, and then we have also different, different new uh, helplines which is available. So I think the problem is that people don't really know about it. Uh, everyone will only talk about befrienders when you talk about helpline because we are 24 hours, right? Uh, so I think uh, as Dr. Uh, Philip mentioned, yeah, the resources uh, is still lacking, uh, but 
at the same time, I think people are not that aware of what is available for them as well. Yeah. So uh, my advice to people out there is that if you are struggling, right, do reach out and you know, do go online and look for places that you can reach out to. And I, I will also like to add that at the Befrienders, you know, when you call us, everything is confidential and you can remain anonymous when you talk to us. You don't have to tell us your, your name or anything that you're not comfortable with. So basically, it's a safe place for anyone to talk about anything at all. Yeah. No, you talk, you're, you're saying about, uh, sorry, you're just saying that, you know, people call and the lines are engaged. I mean, I just a thought that ran through my mind maybe to help our, our listeners too. Uh, I mean, what are the peak times? When, when, do you, when are people calling in the most? So perhaps to our listeners, to call in, not to call in those times, if you really need to, to reach out to befriend us. All right. Very good question, Father Clarence. Um, we are, I would say we are busy all the time, uh, but especially so uh, evening, night, late nights. Um, you know, because uh, late nights or early mornings, yeah, after midnight, for example, those are the times when people really struggle. Uh, you know, suicidal thoughts may be very, very times uh, because uh, you want to talk to someone about it. You may reach out to your friends. You may want to reach out to your family members. But then at that hours, people are asleep. People are not available, right? So the only place that you can call uh, is maybe uh, the befrienders or uh, the other 24-hour helpline is, uh, I believe, Talian Kase. Yeah? Um, so it is uh, quite challenging. And for someone who is struggling, I think it's difficult for them to uh, also control when to call because sometimes when it hits you, it will just hit you and you just need to call. Um, so again, if you're having difficulty calling in, uh, do not give up. Do not give up. Do know that uh, we do want to hear from you. Uh, try again. Yeah. I guess. I guess during the day, probably they are caught up with work, and then their family members around you, and you, you don't want people to hear it. Possibly you're struggling alone, so you want, you know, when they are gone to bed, and you know, probably that's when. Yeah, yeah I think that's possibly a. Yeah, Meg, as you were saying, Meg, you wanted to add something. <laughs> no, I was going to ask the same question as uh, one of our viewers, actually. So if you're watching right now and you feel like you've been in a situation like this and you need to ask a question, you are more than welcome to actually drop in uh, your question in the comment section below. And I think we have one by Kath Hazel. Now, she wants to thank us on how to... Uh, Thank us for actually showing how to identify, you know, signs and symptoms of a person going through different uh, emotional states. But she wants to know, right, how can we recognize um, this situation through communication? So, like, for instance, right, somebody is going through an emotional battle right now or depression and they are talking to you on the phone, right? So how can we identify? How can we recognize that this person is going through a difficult time? Uh, I think Kenny will be expert at this, but maybe <laughs> I'll just give my point of view. Uh, yeah, I think it's important not to jump to conclusions. Uh, you know, we can sometimes uh, maybe preempt things that are really not there. I mean, like I mentioned, uh, we all go through periods of stress. So if you call someone, it's not the right time. You know, they've just been informed of some bad news. They may emotionally be a bit different at that moment. It may not actually be something pervasive and prolonged, but you want to provide them the support. 
And I think having that communication and conversation, very often we don't want to talk about these taboo things. Like yeah. actually, how are you feeling emotionally? You know, um, you want to tell me, you know, how things have been for you, how you're coping. You know, sometimes we're too busy trying to tell them what we are feeling. And we don't give them the chance to talk to us about how they are feeling. And sometimes that's all they need, you know, just a, a lending year. Uh, yeah, but I think Kenny will be able to add more to this. So. No, I really agree with what Dr. Philip has said, yeah, that a lot of times when people reach out to us, we end up talking more about ourselves uh, and we hijack the conversation. Uh, and that is not helpful at all. Yeah, when, when people open up to us, when they come to us, uh, what they really need is a listening ear. So our role here is to basically uh, listen to them. Yeah, but to answer that question of how do we recognize uh, someone who may be going through emotional struggle uh, on the phone yeah, or even face to face, I think what is very important here is to build trust, uh, is to let the person know that uh, you can tell me anything and it's safe. Uh, I will not judge you. Yeah. So I think uh, before anyone can open up to us, uh, the trust must be there. La. They must feel comfortable to open up to us. And you know, once in a while, ask people, how are you doing? Uh, you never know. You know, sometimes uh, at the right uh, time, they may just open up to us. Yeah. It's to build that connection as well. Yeah. Now, coming from the both of you, I just want to say, though, I think as human beings, we have this tendency of automatically trying to solve someone else's problem, right? So we say, how are you doing? And that person tells us what, what's going through their mind and be like, oh, you should do this, you should do that, you should do that. How do we change this in us? Because even like for me, right, when somebody comes and tells me, uh, oh, my son, let's take my son, for instance, right? It's like, mommy, I'm feeling this, 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 this. I automatically want to give him a solution. But what you're saying is sometimes all they need is a listening ear. And I understand that, but how do we change that attitude from giving somebody a solution which may not be the right solution, you know, to just being there as you know, emotional support, as that listening ear, as that shoulder to cry on? You know, I think the first thing is to ask yourself, okay, I'm going to give this advice. Now, if it doesn't work for this person, it falls flat, can you take the responsibility for having given that advice? Are you Fair prepared enough. to say, I'm the one who caused the suffering because he took my advice and didn't work? Okay. You know, so I think the first and important thing is, you know, it's empowering rather than, you know, telling. You don't tell people to do things. I mean, not everyone's going to be like you or react like you. So you empower them. What do you think you can do to help yourself? Wow. You get them to think about the options. What about these other options? Do you think they are appropriate? Do you think they are things that you would consider? You know, so yeah, give them a whole bag and then give them a menu basically and ask them what they think would be useful. And if you, and then of course you need to also put the caveat, look, I'm not a therapist or I'm not, you know, trained in this. And if what we do did discuss, you know, maybe doesn't work, uh, doesn't pull through, you need to maybe see a professional I can help you in that position because I can maybe give you some numbers or I can maybe come with you for that first visit, you know? So that's the support that they require, not you coming up with a solution. You know, you don't run people's lives. I mean, 
it's it's something that maybe you can do with little kids. You know, you can tell them this is how daddy and mummy love live our lives, and you got to follow this too. But when they get older, they're going to say, well. I don't think daddy and mummy were doing the right thing. I'm going to do my own. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? yeah. So, yeah. So when you're talking to your friends and other family, I think you need to speak to them in that sort of method. They give them the opportunity to try and solve their own problem. Absolutely. Okay. That's brilliant just, advice. Just, just listening, kind of, yeah, listening to you, uh, to both uh, to Philip and Kenny, uh, what goes through my mind is that, you know, how do we spot maybe red flags, uh, for example, you know, you know, for, for the, the tendency, especially among young people, when you when you are talking to someone, you say, oh, yo, I feel like going and jumping off a building, you know, uh, and then you kind of brush it aside. You just say, ah, yeah, you're just joking. And, you know, but at which point when we are talking to someone, you know, do we kind of have to notice some of these things? Are there some red flags that we that we need to take a notice of when people are talking to us? Can you understand Oh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> Any one of you. There was, a, there was kind of a silent suddenly. Uh, you know, also, <laughs> no, the reason I ask because we are we're also reading that suicide rates are higher during this time. Yeah. You know, it has so people, may have, people may have reached out, may have said something to someone, and maybe we didn't catch it. Uh, you know, uh, and, and they felt that you no, know, no one was listening to them. Uh, you know, so maybe are there some red flags that we should be watchful of, be sensitive towards? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, whenever someone says something like that, right, uh, as what Father Clarence mentioned, uh, even jokingly, yeah, we should not uh, take it lightly. Uh, we don't want to just brush it aside. So what you can do is basically just uh, pick on that and then ask, you know, what, what do you really mean about that? Yeah, and then try to get into into a conversation with them, because sometimes you know when it comes to suicide, especially, uh, it's such a taboo subject. Uh, there's so much stigma that's attached to it, right? Uh, it's very difficult for someone to actually say it out. Uh, even though research uh, is telling us that you know people who have suicidal ideation, right? There's always an urge or a need for them to basically send the message across to express it. But it's not easy because, you know, if I say I'm suicidal, how would people react? Yeah, uh, people would just simply say, you know, don't think about it. You know, you should cheer up. You know, things will improve. Um, so there's always this fear of being judged uh, when you express it. So maybe sometimes people will just say it as a joke uh, and then test, uh, will this person uh, take me seriously? Will he or she say something about it, right? So I think whenever you hear something like that, or when you see something like that on social media, especially right now, right? Because uh, many young people are using social media to express uh, how they are feeling. So if you see something like that, I think it's very important for us to intervene, to reach out to them and, and ask, hey, what, what's happening? Do you want to talk about it, right? So that is true, you know, uh, their verbal expression, uh, the things that they post. But of course, uh, when it comes to suicidal warning signs, there are also many things to look out for. For example, uh, making final arrangements, like, you know, they would call you and ask for forgiveness to say goodbyes, uh, without mentioning about being suicidal, yeah? Uh, change of behaviour, you know, extreme feelings of hopelessness and helplessness, uh, you know, they're withdrawing themselves from you, from, from others, a change in their eating habits, sleeping patterns, and all those. So uh, there are signs to look out for. And and uh, like I said earlier, right, for someone who is feeling suicidal, uh, 
uh, there's always a need for them to express it. But, you know, sad to say, it's, it's difficult for them and, and they do not know where and who to uh, express it. Yeah, I think uh, actually Kenny is absolutely right. Uh, the important thing is not to brush it off. You need to take every communication that's related to suicide seriously and go that extra mile. Just, you know, continue to inquire, uh, what do you really mean by that? And, you know, are you actually thinking or considering suicide? Many people are actually asking for help when they bring this up. And if you don't take the cue and you say, ah, oh, don't talk rubbish, no, just forget about it. You know, you haven't taken the cue. You actually haven't, they're, they're reaching out for help. They're putting their hand out and you're brushing it away. In fact, studies have shown that 60 to 70% of, you know, people who do commit suicide actually have reached out to either a doctor or a close friend in the week preceding the event. And the thing that happened was it was not seriously considered. Even the doctor may have brushed it off. So I think we should take ourselves away from being so uncomfortable talking about emotional things and, you know, start to actually engage. I mean, we don't have the answers. Again, if you're not mentally trained, you're not going to be the one who saves that person. You're going to be the one who says, okay, actually there is hope, I think. And let's go see someone. Let me support you in actually seeing someone to help with this. Yeah. So what exactly drives a person to consider taking their lives? I mean, to what extent would that problem be so bad? I mean, could it be anxiety? Could it be depression? I mean, young people these days are expressing everything on social media. And sometimes um, we may not realize it either, you know. So there's so many questions there. Maybe you guys want to um, answer them? Yeah, I think uh, uh, most research actually suggests that 60% of suicide is related to major depression. Okay. Uh, so that's but an what illness. what is it due to, though? I mean, is it because of family problems? Is it because of studies? Is it because of work? Yeah. Especially during this whole pandemic. Yeah, so I mean, essentially, if you look at the causes, if there's an illness, then you need to treat the illness. Correct. Of course, the illness is multifactorial. That means, you know, it could be genes, it could be childhood, uh, you know, issues, it could be neurochemicals in the brain, it could be stress. Uh, but really, going back into the past and identifying what the cause is, is not going to be, you know, of much benefit as compared to let's treat this treatable illness. 90% of people actually get fully well. And suicide is a symptom, right? Of course, during a pandemic and, you know, even during our last uh, economic recession, we've seen an increase in suicides. And that's typical of developing countries like Malaysia. A lot of them are actually financially driven, not you know, mental illness driven. They don't develop depression and then go and commit suicide. It's their hardships. They can't cope. They can't put food on the table. They got alongs on their back. They got, you know, so that's a social issue. We can't go and do therapy for a social issue. You know, they may need support from, you know, the NGOs, the government and other, uh, but if that's not available or they don't know where to look for it, then it puts them in a, you know, tight spot. Hopelessness is the biggest trigger for suicide. Yeah. So if you've lost all hope, nobody's there to give you any hope. 
even your best friend says, just forget about it, you know, then you will end up, you know, thinking that there's nothing else like you have left in your repertoire, you know. Oh, that's really nice. I think a lot of people have felt that way, isn't it? Financial problems have, you know, kind of pushed everyone to that edge right now. And I think that explains the increase in uh, suicide cases over the past year or so. Uh, Kenny, anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I would like to add that, you know, when it comes to suicide, it's, it's about uh, wanting to end the unbearable emotional pain that they are going through, yeah? It's not yeah. about ending my life. It's, it's about the pain that I am uh, struggling with and it's getting to the uh, point where I cannot take it anymore, yeah? And as what uh, Dr. Philip mentioned, yeah? The uh, hopelessness in them, you know, can you imagine living without any hope? How difficult it is, yeah, uh, not being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel or thinking, uh, you know, believing that there won't be any light uh, at the end. So if I have to live in total darkness for the rest of my life, how can that be? I mean, I, I don't think I want to do that, yeah. So that's why uh, hopelessness and helplessness as well, uh, helplessness in the sense that I don't think no one can help me uh, and, and I feel like I cannot even help myself. Uh, so it's it's really about the pain, the struggle, uh, the hardship that they are experiencing. Yeah. So besides taking their own lives or suicide, are there other um, methods of escapism? I mean, addiction probably. Um, I don't know. What else are there? Uh, yeah. So as I mentioned, uh, some people may use uh, inappropriate maladaptive ways of coping with stress. Uh, and that can be quite sad because then they develop two different problems. They still have their stress. It's not gone because, you know, suddenly they decided to up their alcohol amount. Uh, and then now they have an alcohol problem. You know, they're waking up hangover, can't focus, can't concentrate, and it's affecting their work. And so it's, it's a vicious cycle. I mean, essentially, the thing is we have neglected... Uh, really bringing about the mental health component in our education, in parenting, in our schools, in teaching everyone from young how to deal with day-to-day -day stress. If the, you know, people who are coping right now is because perhaps they actually have more resilience. And religion, of course, plays an important role. So if you know, they're praying more often and they, you know, take those measures, but also then take care of other mental health, you know, uh, skills. Uh, and they put that as part of their lifestyle. They may actually cope and have better immune systems, in fact, to even ward off the infection. So, you know, I, I think it's time to come out of this whole thing and say mental health is just as important as brush your teeth in the morning. Absolutely. I mean, you're, not, you're brushing your teeth because... You know, it's not because you got tooth decay, it's to prevent it. And Absolutely. that's exactly what mental health investment is all about. How much time do you spend in a day for your own mental health? And how do you build that up so that you can cope with these sort of disasters that happen in our lives, you know? That's a brilliant point, Doc. So how can we cope? in this situation, you know, we already know the pandemic has hit us hard as much as we want to say, you know, it hit us health wise, but mental health is like you said, you know, it's a silent disease and it has left its effects on our mental health. So how can we cope or manage our mental health in this pandemic? 
Yeah, just just to add to what Mac has said, you know, like you said, mm-hmm. early morning, you know. So so what what's the mantra that we need in the morning when we wake up, you know, to say, you know, this will be a good day. Now I just because I just add on to what Mac said because sometimes when you're down, uh, there's there's an amount of paralysis. You you don't you don't feel like you want to do anything, you know. So how do you make it a good day? How do you how do you how do you you know how do you help yourself? Uh, are there some practical tips, Doc? Well, I think a good day starts with a good night. Uh, so that's the first step. <laughs> Make sure you're actually having adequate sleep. Six to eight hours is what we recommend adults. I mean, teenagers need more. Sometimes they fail to recognize that their brain is still developing. It actually gets fully developed at the age of 21. And sleep helps the development. So if they're on the video games and, you know, staying up all night in the social media, they're ruining their mental health. Uh, yeah, so six to eight hours for adults, uh, maybe about 10 hours for teenagers. And as we age, the hours actually start to reduce. Uh, you know, so the quality of sleep actually determines our following day. Uh, sometimes what I typically advise my patients is use a positive, you know, uh, sort of thought prior to sleep so that actually sort of, uh, you know, colors your whole dream and your sleep quality so that the next day you're waking up feeling positive about the day. You know, so it starts with your sleep because that's actually recuperation from the day. And then in the morning, you need to start focusing on what you will be able to achieve and do. And I think the first important step is, you know, identify how you are feeling in the morning and what you feel about yourself. I mean, looking at the mirror in the morning and saying, I'm a good person, I have good things ahead of me, and I want to make things very good today, you know, will actually then determine how the rest of the day pans out sometimes. You know? so, so what we see I mean, in movies actually work. Self-affirmation works. Definitely. I mean, what you feel is actually going to determine what you... I mean, the positive mind attracts positivity. Absolutely. If you are feeling negative and have all these negative thoughts and feel there's nothing to look forward to, you're only going to attract negativity to yourself. The law of attraction actually states that if you look back at the periods when you'd had a tough time and you were thinking negative, you notice that there were things piling up. It was not like just one thing. It was like two, three things. You know? And yeah. if you actually changed your mind to actually focus on the positive, you might have actually attracted more positive things in your life. Wow. Okay. So that explains why every time I get up and go, oh my goodness, today's going to be a really bad day, then it happens. You know, law of attraction makes me. <laughs> I need to get started on that self-affirmation thing. Now, Absolutely. I want to know, I want to know though, um, there is one question. Uh, okay. So how do we cope if we have fallen into an addiction? Then how do we manage uh, the situation then? Yeah. I mean, the, the first important step is awareness. Uh, most people who get into an addiction are in denial. Uh, and that's what we call the pre-contemplators. They think that the addiction is, well, no big deal. I can afford it. It's not causing any harm. Uh, I'm still getting into work. Uh, blah, 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 blah. What actually it is destroying them. And, you know, if we, we, without knowing soon, the addiction takes over their life. So it's important to have the awareness. And then make some sort of mental count. How much am I using? What, what am I using actually? And how often do I do this? 
uh, is it actually you know becoming the priority in my life i'm giving up the other things that are important because this addiction is more important to me you know i give up my sports because i want to come back and drink early or you know i i sleep late because i want to drink more uh, you know so are we actually being ruled by our consumption and you know addiction and if we are then we need to look at okay can i actually work on this on my own or do i need help usually in the early stages most people can actually look at a period of you know abstinence and go through detox on their own with support from their family uh and you know they they might get through it but once it's far gone they need to look for medical help uh because detox from some substances can actually be life threatening yeah and, that's true uh, yeah so they may actually have to be warded to help with that process and then therapy and treatment and all comes in as well. Now doc there's not just a certain type of addiction right i mean there's you know addiction to substances there's addiction to alcohol but in this current age i think a lot of people don't realize but being addicted to social media is also a type of addiction being addicted to watching netflix like till 5:00 in the morning you know is also somewhat of an addiction because you're trying to escape mm. the reality of what's happening around you isn't it So there are many different types of addictions. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean we divide them into behavioral addictions and uh substance addiction. So behavioral are basically, you know, your uh over engagement in social media, in video games, in you know, all the other things that you mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. Uh so they're just as addictive as well. The only difference is you may not have, you know, withdrawal symptoms. I mean, you can have psychological withdrawals, you're not going to go into physical withdrawals mm-hmm. if you abstain. Uh I think the important thing is to again, you know, sort of make a measure of how much you're engaged in this. We actually have guidelines 2 hours of uh, social media video games a day is what we recommend. uh not more than that i mean if you're binge watching that's very different from you know every day watching so if you're watching a series and you do it for a day or two well maybe that's acceptable but if it's going to be a continuous thing then that might actually be an addiction as well the most important rule is is it impacting on your day-to-day life your relationships your work and other aspects of your life that you're neglecting you know I'm just going to I'm just going to jump in here. I mean since Meg always introduced me as the as the resident priest. So let, let me be the priest here. Yes. <laughs> let me be the priest here. Uh, you know Doc, or either Kenny or, or or Dr. Philip, you know, how important is a spiritual life uh in the context of mental well-being, you know, uh I mean yeah, I think that's the question that I I've, I've been wanting to ask. Uh Dr. Philip, you, you alluded to it earlier but you didn't expand too much uh, you know you know a relationship with god uh, a, a sense of meaning uh, yeah. at this time how important is that uh okay i think kenny is a professional in this area <laughs> no, but, yeah, i'll just, i'll just give my few cents with uh, opinion um i think i think it's as essential as everything else as well i mean uh we have things in our life that we have no control over the pandemic is not in our control the lockdown is not in our control you know so we leave it up to somebody or something and i think if we have a higher being like god it actually helps us feel that we're supported that these things can be left to the almighty's hands 
and we can go about doing the other things that help us manage the, you know, other things in our life as well. Uh, if we're lost in this, you know, uh, space of, I don't know what's happening, I have no control and no nothings, we just get so anxious and worried and we're making ourselves, you know, spiral into a frenzy. And because God is there, he helps us through these uncertainties. I mean, that's what I think, you know, Jesus and God is all about, basically. Um, and I think uh, the moment we think that we need to pay less attention and less focus, that's when we become victims of our own, you know, sort of spiral into, you know, worse mental health and even morbidity as well. Mm. Kenny, you wanted to yeah. say <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, when it comes to suicide prevention, yeah, religion is a protective factor. So it is, you know, it helps protect people from, you know, being suicidal or even to act out uh, on that suicide act, yeah. Uh, but again, uh, we have to be careful how we use it, uh, yeah. Because we, we have uh, gotten calls from people who say that uh, things like, you know, I have prayed uh, consistently. I, I go to church every Sunday. I pray five times a day, but yet I'm feeling this way, yeah. And then you have people who, who would tell them that, you know, if you're feeling depressed, you just need to go and pray, you know, then you will feel better. Uh, and, and, you know, telling them that they don't have to go and seek professional help, for example. Yeah. So it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Although it's a protective factor, but then if you are really depressed, for example, you need a professional help. You need to seek treatment. Yeah. And those of you who are supporting people who are struggling, um, be careful with how you use that, you know, religion, uh, yeah? Like, for example, you may say things like, um, do you feel like you want to go to pray? Uh, I can accompany you. We can do it together, yeah? Rather than telling them that, you know, you should just pray and you'll get better, yeah? So um, it's, it's how you use it, la, yeah? Um, There's yeah. a very fine line that you thread yeah. on. Okay, yeah. get it. On that note, though, if someone is feeling, you know, is struggling and in that situation, you know, uh, where can they go for help? Uh, yeah, so I think uh, Kenny will maybe uh, inform us of the helplines uh, and befriend us. Uh, the physical places that uh, I would uh, be able to maybe uh, suggest are actually all public hospitals and university hospitals have psychiatric units and they have psychiatrists. Uh, some units have psychologists as well uh, and they typically see patients at very, very low rates. You know, it's only five ringgit uh, per appointment to see a specialist and even get medication uh, and therapy as well. Uh, but you need to have a referral letter from a clinic kasiatan and uh, it may, you know, be by appointment, uh, but typically, you know, you should be able to get an appointment within a few weeks. Uh, there are private private centers. Uh, the only problem with the private centers is, of course, is, uh, you know, the cost. Uh, and, you know, because in Malaysia, surprisingly, it is not covered by insurance, whereas the same insurance companies that cover us in Malaysia are covering for those patients in Australia or in, you know, in Singapore or, you know, some other countries, they're prejudiced against our mentally unwell Malaysian yeah. patients. I have no idea why. We've been fighting with them for years. Uh, 
but that's that's the other option. Uh, of course, the cost can be varied. Uh, right now, actually, places like Relate Malaysia, Souls Health, Malaysian Mental Health Association, they are providing uh, subsidized uh, therapy. Uh, and uh, so those are places that can actually be explored as well. Uh, the other is... Uh, <clears throat> um, Sorry, I was going to say something. Well, a lot of them are actually online. So some sometimes you don't need to actually go face-to-face. -face. Uh, and also the Archdiocese uh, Mental Health Ministry, uh, led by Father Philip, uh, they also have uh, uh, services available, mostly online now. But you can make a call and then uh, get an appointment there as well. So there's a few places. I think, Kenny, you want to add on to that? Yeah, I think apart from going to uh, the public uh, hospital or clinic kesehatan, you can also explore uh, Pusat Mentari, which is a, a community mental health center uh, mm. by uh, the Ministry of Health. Yeah, uh, it's I, I'm not sure how many centers are there in Malaysia, but there I think there's like 26. One. Yeah, 26. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, doctor. Right. No that, there's at least one uh, in each state, and in yeah. KL Selangor, there are four centers. Mm. So these are centers where, before the pandemic, you can actually walk in, and and they will run tests, uh, self screening tests, and then advise you what to do. Uh, but I'm not sure during pandemic now whether uh, you can still walk in. Yeah. So perhaps you can call and check. Uh, that is Pusat Mentari. Uh, apart from that, you know, I think the thought of going uh, to seek professional help can be quite scary at times, yeah? So if you are not ready for it, uh, maybe you can try to reach out to a helpline first uh, and talk to a stranger because sometimes, you know, people feel uh, more comfortable talking to a stranger, yeah? Uh, and, and as you can see uh, on your screen, there are so many helplines that's available right now in Malaysia. And that is really something which is very, very positive, yeah? So um, um, I think when it comes to helpline, also you may have fear calling, uh, but just give it a call. Uh, don't worry so much about it. Uh, because, you know, like uh, at the Befrienders, for example, you are in charge of the call. You call and you try uh, to say something and see how you feel. If you feel uncomfortable at any time, you know, you can put down the phone. Yeah, but of course, we, we hope you won't. Uh, but at any point of time, you feel like you're not comfortable. Uh, you, you have the option of doing it. Yeah, uh, and some of our callers need a few calls before they are able to open up. And that's okay. I, I think Kenny, it's also confidential, right? I mean, you can you, you, yeah. you can actually not give your name as well, right? Yes, yes. Just be yeah. anonymous, okay? Yeah, anonymous. Right. And the number and the numbers are, are not traceable, I guess. I suppose yeah. uh, from what we I understand. Do, yeah, we don't do number tracking. Yeah, and, <laughs> and very quickly, and Kenny, if I if I understand correctly, that people who call in, uh, it's a free call, right? To befriend us, uh, is, is that correct? Okay. Is that a, is that a toll free number like? It is, I, not a, uh, okay. it is not a toll-free number, uh, okay. but if you are subscribed to one of the eight main telcos, uh, you can call us for free. Maxis, DG, Cellcom, U-Mobile, and the eight main telcos. Lah. Okay. Uh, I think they, okay. they launched that last year when the, the cases were going up, isn't it, of people who needed help? It's two years ago, I think. Oh, um, two years ago, okay. 2019, yeah. Even then also, when they launched it, right, the number of calls increased. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. And it, it's really helpful because we do get calls from people who say things like, you know, I don't have enough credit. What do I do? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. So yeah. I think that, that is the point I want to say that people, I mean, even if you have low credit, uh, you can still call uh, like, like befrienders and, you know, it's, and it's a free call basically to them. Yeah. I know, uh, Dr. Philip, we, we need to let you go. I know you're in big demand these days. Uh, <laughs> for, for I, I, I just, have, just have one question if you may allow me to just uh, bring it up. You know, Sure. This word PTSD, you know, uh, yeah. is being associated now with the pandemic. You know, mm. it's a word that we often hear about people coming back from war. You know, it's mm. in, in the literature. Now it is being associated with this. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that, you know, now that there's a, we have highlighted the importance of mental well-being, do you think, mm. you know, that in Malaysia, that we would come to, that, I mean, after this pandemic, there's a need to have, you know, train counsellors in schools, you know, proper counsellors in schools, proper counsellors in workplaces uh, yeah. to help people. Uh, would that be something that we really should, you know, lobby for? Oh, no, you're right. You're absolutely right, Father. Uh, in fact, the National Coalition of Mental Wellbeing, which was just founded uh, last year by Rotary Malaysia, is actually focusing on this. And I'm actually helping to chair the Youth Mental Health uh, Initiative. And we're looking at, one, training the counsellors, because, you know, sadly, although some schools have counsellors, they're not actually very, men, uh, you know, trained, very well trained in mental health. And uh, sometimes they're not as effective and efficient in dealing with mental health of young people. Uh, the other is actually we're looking at peer uh, group, uh, you know, uh, sort of clubs or what we term as mind matters clubs that young people can actually take charge of their own mental health and also encouraging others and promoting others for mental health as well. So when, you know, you have a club in the school, you've got a debate club, you've got a chess club. If you have a club that's focused on mental health, it helps bring from the peers to the others mental health skills. You know, it's not about mental illness, but it's about mental health skills. And so we encourage them because we can't push it through the curriculum yet. When it does, then maybe things will change. Uh, but we've also got a committee working on workplace as well. So yes, Father, it's actually something that we are all engaged in trying to work on. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think I think I think that's a very important thing. Uh, I think this is one of the realizations that you know, that at least for me, you know, in workplaces, uh, yeah. you know, we expect people to to perform optimally, but sometimes you know we don't take care of their of their mental well being. The stress at home, you know, people who don't perform maybe you know it's because of stress at home and they have no one to talk to. Uh, yeah. If there is a place in the work in in your office or in your workplace that you can go to, and and you know that. You will not be penalized. It's a it's a safe and sacred space that you can talk to to, and I think that helps. And maybe there's something that we need to talk talk about. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Laura Mac, do we need to let Dr. Philip go to his other engagement? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do need to let Dr. Philip go yeah. to his other engagement. But just before that, uh, Dr. Philip, before you leave us, um, yes. you know, what's the most important thing that you want all of us to remember when dealing with mm. a mental health problem? Yeah, so I think it's good to do an audit. <clears throat> Just go through what are the things that you are doing currently to help your mental health. I mean, you may not be, uh, well, I mean, everyone is to some extent impacted, I'm sure, by this pandemic and the lockdowns, but it may not be extreme. But it's still important to identify what and how you are currently coping and what you can do more 
to actually help yourself through this process. Do that audit regularly, do it weekly, and then learn about the different skills in you know building mental health. We actually have tons of apps and online tools that are verified and you know very effective. One of the ones that I can maybe share with everyone here is something called Sanvelo, S-A-N-V-E-L-L-O. It's a free app. It actually teaches you meditation, mindfulness, breathing. It checks on you regularly. Um, and I, I engage in it myself personally. Uh, the other app that I think is very useful is Gratitude Journal. Because we focus too much on the negatives, it's time that we actually change our perspective. And I recommend this every night before going to sleep, list out three positive things in the day. Gratitude Journal is an app which is free and it prompts you and it helps you to focus on building your mental health skills as well. That's oh, brilliant. Yeah, that, that, that's, thank you so much. Yeah, I think that's something that we all can download, Sun Velo and Gratitude Journal. Yeah. yeah, Dr. Billy, we wish we could have you for much longer, but we understand that you have to leave us. Thank you so much so for right. joining us on Catholics at Home this morning. Uh, Thank we you for having you a, me. Thank you, Father. Thank, thanks, Dr. Philip. But we will we have to work with you, Kenny, with us for a while. Yeah, yes. yeah we okay. will continue. Okay. Take care, Dr. Goodbye. Philip. God bless. Bye. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're still on the topic of being kind to our minds and telling ourselves that it's okay not to feel okay. I think Kenny and Dr. Philip have both given us really good advice throughout the, the show. I think, Kenny, there was um, a question much earlier on about, uh, you know, the calls that come in, right? Um, is there no face-to-face -face dialogue? What percentage of our of their calls are genuine and not prank calls. How can you identify if it's a genuine call or a prank call? Ah, okay. Uh, at, mm, what happens is that, you know, uh, we do have a face-to-face -face, uh, appointment sessions for our callers, yeah? Uh, but because of the pandemic, we have actually uh, stopped it for the time being. Uh, but to answer that question, right, how do we know if it is a prank call? Uh, of course, uh, our volunteers are being trained to recognize uh, prank calls. Um, but, you know, um, we, we always focus on their feelings. Like, you know, we get them to talk about their feelings, their pain, uh, and see if they're able to open up, yeah? Um, even if someone is unable to open up, uh, but there must be a reason why they call us, right? Uh, maybe they're struggling with something and they call us, they're not ready to talk yet, they just want to test, uh, you know, our service, see how our, you know, volunteers uh, respond to them, for example, yeah? Um, so we don't actually uh, dismiss them right away that they are prank calls and, and put down the phone, uh, but we will try our best to engage them in conversation and hopefully they'll be able to open up about their issues, yeah. Mm. But sometimes we do get uh, silent calls, for example, uh, you know, uh, what we believe is that maybe they're just not ready, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to get to that. Could yeah. it be that they call, but the moment the call got picked up, they just froze, you know, because they're too afraid to speak about it. Father, what were you saying? No, 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 I was just going to ask Kenny, maybe, you know, some practical tips, you know, I mean, I, I know it's too short a time to do a role play and this is not not, <laughs> not, not counselling supervision in any form. Uh, but, you know, if someone comes to you, uh, I mean, of course, not everyone is ready to call. Maybe someone reaches out to a friend. Hmm. 
what are the things that you know uh, that one should should do you know how how do you respond in a, in a, in, a, in a concrete situation uh, if some examples uh, can you so our listeners yeah. also if someone reaches out to them and they have something to yeah. how to have a conversation uh, at least an initial conversation with someone who will be trying to 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 ask for help right I think Mac, uh, you, to begin with, sorry. Should we should, should we ask Mac to role play? Role, should you ask Mac to role play with you? <laughs> <laughs> no, father. <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. Maybe I'll just share with you all what are the things that you can do and uh, what are sure. the, the things that you should not do, like, Yeah. Yeah. I think to begin with, uh, you the very important thing is uh, empathy, that you know the ability to put yourself in the other person's shoes and and try to imagine what that person is going through. Yeah, and that is one quality that we look for in all our volunteers, uh, empathy, you know, uh, and the ability to accept that person no matter what kind of issue that person is going through. Because sometimes uh, your friend may come to you and talk to you about something that uh, you don't agree with. So how are you uh, able to support someone if you don't agree with whatever that person is saying, right? Uh, so acceptance here doesn't mean that you have to agree with whatever that person is saying, but to just acknowledge that this person is struggling of, because of this issue, yeah? Uh, don't be judgmental, you know, saying things like, uh, you shouldn't be angry with your mom because she's your mom, yeah? Uh, we all know that, you know, we are not supposed to feel that way, but the reality is that uh, there are times when we feel angry or we feel disappointed, you know, at our parents, yeah. And you know, in situation like this, I think it's important to to be able to express it, yeah. So do not judge them. Uh, what's also very important is validate their feelings, yeah. I think a lot of times when we are experiencing difficult emotions, uh, we feel very much uncomfortable about it. We may feel like. Uh, Am I wrong to be feeling this way? Yeah. But when it comes to feelings, I, I personally feel that there's no right or wrong. Yeah. It's just that you are going through that phase. Um, and when someone comes to you, I think it's helpful if you can validate their feelings. You know, saying things like, it sounds to me you're feeling angry because your mom doesn't seem to understand you. So when we reflect feelings, we are showing that person that I can empathize with you. I can understand what you are feeling, yeah? Uh, and I am listening to you, yeah? But saying things like, I understand, I understand, it's not very helpful, yeah? Because the feedback that uh, I have gotten, yeah, from talking to friends uh, is that, you know, you can never understand what I'm going through, yeah? Because you're That's not true. me, yeah? Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, I understand, you know, you use reflection of feelings and, and that just shows that I am with you, yeah? Uh, and basically, you know, um, allow them to talk about their pain. I think uh, when it comes to pain, yeah, we are all not comfortable. We don't want to go there. Yeah, that's why we say things like, oh, cheer up. Let's, let's go and get a drink and forget about the problems. Yeah, uh, because we ourselves are not comfortable uh, in listening to pain. But what really helps is that to allow people to talk about their pain. And that's what we do at The Befrienders. We encourage them to talk about their pain. Uh, and I believe that, you know, when we talk about uh, relief, you know, recovery, it always starts with, you know, addressing your pain. Yeah. So, so you know, basically, just listen, be there with them. I think that's, that's uh, you know, uh, that helps. 
Yeah, you basically don't have to do a lot, lah. Yeah. I guess I'm just going to add. You just going to, going to add to, to a professional. Yeah. Oh, okay, go ahead, Father. No, I'm just going to add to what what Kenny was was saying, uh, and then we come to Max's question. You know, uh, just listening to you, I think what doesn't help also sometimes is I think I think what helps is to suspend our own our own spiritual and moral judgments. You know, uh, not to take a higher, because I think sometimes when we when we you know, we have our own spiritual judgment, and then like like the example that you were saying just now. And I'm very angry with my mother, and then you start quoting the Bible to say, you know, oh, the Bible says you must honor your father and your mother. That doesn't really help because yeah. that adds, that adds, adds to the fuel guilt. To the fire. Yeah. yeah, it just probably adds to the sense of guilt that what yeah. you are doing is wrong, uh, and you know, you do not know how to handle it. So I think sometimes you know, when listening to people, we just need to suspend uh, all these things, our, our own spiritual. Uh, experience of god our own where we are in you know in, in terms of our spiritual journey and to allow people to uh, to say what they think and sometimes it it, it may not um, be in tandem with what you believe sometimes I, I would think you know i think that's that's then you you feel the need to say something you know you feel that you know or you know but i, I think at a time like this sometimes i i really you know what kenny said you know is just to be able to listen to someone and and to say yes you know you know this is what somebody is feeding and i need to be there to put aside what whether i believe i don't believe it or whether it is you know it's against my my spiritual principle or moral principle uh but to accompany someone in their pain and their struggle and i think the holy father regularly talks about accompaniment you know yeah, yeah i i think this is what i think one of the I, wa i wanted to add you know because because the moment you start quoting your your, your spiritual uh, traditions, and then you know it makes the person feel f feel worse. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Kenny. In, in any, yeah. I, you know, you 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 feel a a, a kind of a a, a guilt, uh, mm. and that doesn't help anyone uh, in any in the situation. It just adds to the burden of everything that you're feeling yeah. at that moment, isn't it? Exactly, and I think the tendency sometimes, you know, for it, it's well intended. Sometimes people who are, you know, it's well intended, but sometimes we don't realize that that causes a little more harm than than help, uh, help. in situations like this, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've heard that so many times from people saying, you know. Uh, well-intentioned, good Christians who tell them, like you said earlier, pray more, or you said, you know, uh, you know, do this more. But sometimes yeah. the human emotions uh, need to be attended to in in a different way. Different way, yep, yeah. absolutely. So true. I mean, it it's you know, it's not what you want; it's what they need. Yeah, person yeah. who's coming to you for support. Yeah. Mm. And I think you're very right in terms of saying that we are uncomfortable with listening to someone else's pain. So that's why we either try and find a solution or tell them to call, uh, you know, do this or do that or the Bible says this or that because we ourselves are finding it difficult to listen yeah. to you because we're uncomfortable. And that's yeah. why it's important to actually reach out to someone who is a professional, you know, whether it's the mm. befrienders or any of the lines that we've actually projected earlier because these are the people who are trained to listen to you. I mean, sometimes all we do is just listen and say, okay, we understand that you have a problem with your mother, but that person might be like, okay, so you understand, and then what? <laughs> so there's no way of actually being able to help unless you're properly trained for it. Would yeah, you agree yeah. with that? Um, I, I do agree to a certain extent, but I also believe that uh, every one of us has a role to play, even though mm. you are not trained yeah, in providing support. Uh, but, you know, understanding what are the things that you can do 
because yeah. I think sometimes the presence, uh, just being there, it's so, so important. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes you don't even need to say anything, but be there with them. Be there. Mm. But of course, you know, what's the next step? Yeah. Encourage them to call a helpline, to go and uh, see a professional. That's also very important. Uh, I think uh, walking with them through the journey is, is important. Okay, if someone calls, so, okay, for instance, like someone tells me their problem and I don't know what to do, but I'm trying to help them in this journey. Can I call the helpline and say, hey, you know what? I have a friend and this friend is going through this and I don't know how to help the person. What can I do? Would that be a better alternative? Mm. Well, what I hear you say is that you're feeling very helpless, right? In a situation like that. Yeah, so, because you don't know what to do. Yes, and and... It's also because you care so much for this person and you worry for this person. Yeah, I think in a situation like that, you can. Uh, what you can do is that you can call a helpline yourself. You can also go online and check what are the resources, what are the things that you can do, you are not supposed to do. Uh, but I think also to let that person know that I care for you. I really you know, uh, want you to know that I will be with you in this journey. But... I am at a loss. I am also feeling overwhelmed. Uh, but let's do this together. Let's find alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't want to just like, you know, give them the wrong idea that I'm rejecting you or what. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So there is a question on our comment section, uh, which is asking about the suicide rate among mental health professionals. Uh, would you know of that? Um, I, I don't uh, know the details, but I know that uh, the suicide rate uh, amongst mental health professionals uh, is high. Yeah, it's high. So why does that happen, though? Because this person wants to know that, you know, being a mental health professional, you're normally equipped with all the tools and, mm. you know, all, all the ways to manage this. So how does this happen? I think there are many reasons to it. Uh, one could be the stigma. For example, I am a mental health professional. I am a counsellor. So I should be strong enough to handle, yeah. manage all my problems, right? So it, maybe it's more difficult for them to reach out, yeah? Uh, another thing is also uh, the access to the, the means, yeah? For example, mm. if you're a psychiatrist, it's so much more easier for you to, you know, get pills to to do it, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I also like to say that, you know, I think the things that we discuss here today is very important, very useful, but uh, may also trigger some of our listeners out there. So if mm. any one of you feel affected uh, by what our discussion, right, do do reach out for help. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that that's an important point. Uh, I think there's a whole the whole purpose of this conversation this morning with uh, Kenny and Dr. Philip is, is to bring about an awareness. And I think the awareness is that you know you don't have if you are struggling, you don't have to do it alone. You know, and don't do it alone. You know, I think that's the key message that we want to get get out get out to people because I think a lot of times we talk about suicide. They come to a point when they they don't see any other option. Uh, mm -hmm. They don't see they don't see uh, anybody supporting them. You know. And, and I think the, the messaging that we want to send out is that you, like like the title says, it's okay to not feel okay at this time. And and we all are. Let's let's face it, we all are. Whether it's healthcare professionals, whether it's priests, whether it's 
any ordinary person, we all our lives have been disrupted, you know. And there's some level of 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 you know uh, anxiety in all of us, you know, uh, whether you're a person of faith or no faith. I I, I believe that, you know, uh, yeah. what you see in the papers in the morning or what you, what you the daily reports that you read, it it affects us whether you whether we know it or not. There's uh, just too so much negativity around us, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's the point. You want to say is you, you don't have to do it alone. You know, yeah. just mm-hmm. just reach out to someone. And I think that's the key thing that and I think we want to to tell people this morning. Uh, yeah. there's so many places, organizations, people, or even if you can't access to to a number, you know, reach out to a friend, a close friend, uh, to talk about that, you know, talk about it and and you know and feels like when you are to talk about it to someone yeah. rather than you know uh, building a bubble within ourselves and it comes to a point when you know you're not able to manage it yeah i think the underlying reason for having this show today is to tell you that it's okay to reach out it's okay to not feel okay because the awareness is very low you know every time we want to reach out we feel like oh maybe i shouldn't what would people think of me you know, what would they say about me? Does that mean I'm not doing well? Am I sick? Do I need help and stuff like that? But we're all in this same situation. Like Father said, you know, the pandemic has disrupted our lives, whether it is through your jobs or the fact that you're isolated at home with your family and you have nowhere to go or you're isolated alone. There's so many different reasons why we're feeling this way. And I think Kenny started the whole conversation just now with it, isn't it? I mean, working from home is also another reason. A lot of people have been complaining of anxiety attacks due to the work from home situation, right? And I think a lot of people don't understand why it's happening because I think when we're at home, there's just way too many things that are happening at the same time, Uh, you know, not just work, but yeah, everything else. So there are so many things that are bugging us these days due to the pandemic and it's okay if you're not feeling okay. And it's okay if you feel like you can't cope, reach out for help. So I think we're, we've come to the end of the show already. Kenny and Dr. Philip, you guys have been amazing today. Before we let you go, Kenny, anything else you'd like to add for all our viewers this morning? Uh, I would like to maybe mention the, top, uh, the title uh, today, uh, Be Kind to Your Mind. It is so apt at this uh, point of time, I think, because uh, most of the time we are thought or we are expected to be kind to others, uh, but we forgot about ourselves, we end up neglecting ourselves, yeah? So I think uh, it's important to spend time to be kind to yourself and ask yourself, you know, uh, how have you been treating yourself? Yeah. Awesome. Father, anything that you'd like to add? No, I think I think I've just uh, said what I wanted to say earlier, Meg, uh, and to our listeners, you know, and I think the whole purpose of this conversation is that, you know, reach out, you know, if you're, if you need help, do not hesitate. You know, uh, I mean, if the if the figures show that that men are reaching out less, and I'm, I'm calling out to all the men out there who are struggling. You know, do not hesitate. Uh, do not hesitate to reach out uh, uh, to get some assistance. And and there are so many uh, places that they can go to. You know, a phone call, like I said, befriend us. I think we have the number uh, that is scrolling in our screen here for emotional support that you need. Uh, it's anonymous. 
there are many other places that you can call to uh, our Archdiocesan Mental Health Ministry that you could call into, uh, and you know, uh, let's you know, let's let's journey together this time. Let's and let's support one another. Uh, you know, let's not judge one another. Let's be available to one another. Yeah, I think that's that's you know, uh, that's what I think uh, this whole conversation this morning is about. Mm, absolutely. Now, of course, we want to thank you so much for joining us this morning uh, on Catholics at Home. Remember, it is important for you to be kind to your mind. It's okay to not feel okay. We're all in this together. And uh, to end the show, as always, Father, would you like to say a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this conversation with our guests, with Dr. Philip, with Kenny, uh, and the work that they do together with many other people for mental well-being during this difficult time. We pray for all health professionals who are providing mental support to the many people who are struggling with these challenges. We ask you to use them. We pray for those who are struggling with mental health issues, that you'll be close to them at this time. We pray for ourselves too, that in our own little way, we may be able to accompany one another especially when our friends, family members reach out to us. Maybe walk with them, maybe able to hold their hand and to be able to walk together to come out of this pandemic, to be recognized that you are there with us. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there you go. We've come to the end of the show already this morning on Catholics at Home. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to like and share this so that many people, many more people would be aware of what we spoke about today. And it may just help someone out there. Um, also, if you're thinking of what you can do to help someone or a friend or a family member who are going through really tough times, we have another slide that's coming up really soon on what you can possibly do to help them. But for now, we want to say thank you for joining us on Catholics at Home. We'll see you next week, same time, same place, right here on Facebook. <laughs>